This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Mom in Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. We're going to be doing things a little bit differently for the next couple of weeks because I'm taking a little bit of time off the podcast to go on vacation with my family. I'm very excited about that. And vacation at this point during the summer is exciting for the kiddos too um, before school starts back up. So I will be re-airing a couple of episodes that had a lot of listeners in the past This week, I'm re-airing episode number one, which is my personal story of postpartum depression and anxiety and OCD and some rage and whatever else you want to throw in there. It was a pretty tough time in my life, and it is absolutely the inspiration and passion in my work now. And part of the reason I do this podcast is to try and ensure on some level that at least moms have the information that they need to know and that family members have the information that they need to at least get the help or try and prevent feeling too bad or try and prevent feeling worse or just understanding and knowing that they're not alone. And after I go through some of my personal story, as I'm sure you guys know in any story, there are always more details. In episode number one, after I share the some of the details of my personal story, I also talk about some maternal mental health basics. And I don't know if you guys will be able to tell. It was my very first episode, but certainly I can tell that I sounded pretty new at doing this um, and a little stiff, maybe not as comfortable as I feel now being able to talk through this stuff and, and use this medium to support people and do interviews. So I'd be interested to see if you guys can hear that. But either way, I hope you find it a valuable look back at where we started. And I'm also excited to let you guys know that the interest in sponsorships are rolling in. So for the second week um, where I won't be releasing a new episode, I'm going to be working and honing in some new stuff for the podcast. And some of that will be including sponsorships in the very near future. I'm really excited to be partnering with people who have such passion and dedication to mothers and families. I'm really hopeful in the support that they're wanting to give to the podcast will come through and be a benefit and a support to you guys too. I'm really want to be careful about bringing things into the podcast that are beneficial for you guys as well and can give you connections to some resources that you might be needing. So let's go ahead and take a look back at episode number one. Hi, and welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Today, I'm going to share with you a little bit about my own personal story and my struggle with postpartum depression and anxiety. And then we'll go into some basics of maternal mental health issues 
uh, so that you can have a reference point for some of the other material and topics that we'll be discussing in future episodes. So hopefully this can be kind of a reference point for you, but also an introduction into what maternal mental health is. Since a lot of what we're going to be talking about on this podcast in general are real stories, uh, moms who've experienced uh, difficulty during pregnancy or postpartum with mental health, I figured it's best to start with my story and um, hopefully kind of give you a good sense of what some mothers may be experiencing during this really difficult time. So for me, um, I had a really good pregnancy. Uh, My pregnancy went well. I was excited. The baby was planned for. um, And I had support from my husband and supportive family. So I was very lucky in that sense. In terms of what happened after I had my daughter uh, was unexpected. I remember the day that she was born um, feeling this overwhelming sense of anxiety come up, just feeling like I needed to check on her all the time. Um, I was always looking over at her, checking her breathing, making sure she was okay. <clears throat> she did have a little bit of a complication from swallowing some meconium and had a little bit of um, spit up that was concerning, um, but otherwise healthy. So looking back on it now, that's when I think I must have started down my path of dealing with anxiety. Now there were some other factors um, in that those first couple of days and first couple of weeks that contributed to me feeling really down. And one of which, of course, which happens to all moms is the sleep deprivation that you just cannot prepare for. Uh, that happens when you first have a baby, uh, constantly being up, needing to feed them, um, changing diapers, and, and all of that stuff. This is common, uh, the sleep deprivation, but it affects people differently. So for me, I had to really take stock and take note. For me, after days uh, kept going by, um, I became more and more sad. Um, I, my daughter was having difficulty with nursing um, and I was having excruciating pain with nursing. Um, and it took a little bit of time to figure out that she had a tongue tie. Um, and after we had that fixed, things were a little bit easier, but still for months it was very, very painful. Um, so going back to the first couple of days, around day four or five, I just lost it. I was crying all the time. I didn't understand what was going on. And I I had called a good friend and she told me, um, that's okay. The crying is normal. This is what happens. That was incredibly comforting. Um, but I couldn't shake the, the deep sense of like, kind of what in the world did I get myself into? I had thoughts of like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. She's, you know, having a hard time or I'm having a hard time. I was so tired and beside myself, um, just really feeling inadequate and feeling like all of those things that I was supposed to feel like the motherhood and nursing and all of these things were supposed to come naturally. Well, you know, some things did, but not everything does. 
uh, and looking back, that was one of the first myths of motherhood that I had fallen for, is that we know everything once that baby comes, as if for some magical reason, all of a sudden we know some information is downloaded from somewhere and we're like, um, you know, in the matrix or something. And all of a sudden we just know. Well, with clarity now, I know that that doesn't happen anywhere at any time for anybody. So why was that pressure on me? Well, it's on most moms. So let's just keep that in, in mind. Moving forward, as time went on, I became more and more anxious and worried about her. Um, she was sleeping right next to me in a co-sleeper, and I had the baby monitor on and right next to my head, even though she was right next to me, and I had it turned up so that I could hear her, even though she was right next to me. So why did I think that was necessary? Well, in my mind, I thought, oh, I have to, if something's wrong, I have to be able to hear her. And if I can amplify her noise, any noises that she makes, then this will for sure wake me up and I'll be able to attend to her. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co., and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, You'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. She had some acid uh, reflux and some some spit up issues, so... She was sleeping a little bit propped up, so I found myself hyper-concerned about her rolling over and getting stuck and that I wouldn't hear her somehow, even though I had, like, supersonic hearing all of a sudden, as many moms can relate to. And, you know, uh, as many dads can relate to, uh, dads don't wake up as quickly. They just don't hear things in the same way that moms do. And it's not their fault. It's just kind of biological. Don't get me wrong, there's some dads who will jump up, but for the most part, it's the mom who hears everything. So for me, somebody who's already a little bit on the worried side, if not a lot, and becoming really anxious, then, you know, 
these other things, uh, whatever was added to the list were things for me to worry about the, the feeding issues, the, um, acid reflux, the, her being propped up, um, worried if she was going to roll over, stuck and being unable to breathe, constantly needing to check on her breathing, put my hand on her belly, uh, sometimes even, um, rock her a little bit so that I could see if she would sort of partially wake up. So these are signs of anxiety. After some time, that anxiety uh, was exhausting. Well, it is exhausting. And some other feelings, I would say anxiety was primary and then depression started to kick in. Basically ongoing feelings of inadequacy, feeling like I don't know what I'm doing. Although this was all happening in my head. Uh, if you were to ask anybody else, they wouldn't have been able to see any of this. I looked fine. I took care of stuff. I, you know, I was doing what I needed to do for her. Uh, and at home, for the most part, um, I was home for about three and a half months before I had to go back to work. So just to keep something else in mind, I was on maternity leave from my job as a psychologist. Um, I was already a therapist at the time of my pregnancy and postpartum in a major and huge uh, medical system, meeting with lots and lots and lots of people. So the interesting thing for me is that I didn't know what was going on for myself during this period of time. There I was, trained psychologist, working in the field, working with mothers. I had pregnant moms, postpartum moms, parents, all of that were coming into me. And I could tell, you know, oh, yeah, maybe that's a pregnancy or postpartum or something like that. But in my mind, as a professional, I, I had never been trained. I, I didn't know that there was this specialty and special knowledge that I needed to know, really needed to know about pregnancy and postpartum mood disorders. I just kind of figured they were just like other mood disorders. And since I had been, you know, trained and seen lots and lots of people that I, you know, I didn't really need to know anything different. Well, I'm here to tell you that is not true. Uh, so I'll get to that in a moment. But for my story, it took me about a year to figure out what was going on. And only when I realized uh, that, hey, this is not normal, these things that I'm feeling aren't normal, did I really take stock and understand what I had just experienced? Going back a little bit into the, you know, bef before I figured out what was going on, I had a lot of really intrusive thoughts. Um, and this is an important thing to know about. Um, most people have some types of intrusive thoughts, and what that means is a thought that just sort of flashes into your mind, and it can be really disturbing. Um, and the thought itself can produce its own anxiety, um, and they can be disturbing and graphic and worrisome. So in terms of intrusive thoughts, I had a lot of thoughts about harm coming to my child, either at the hands of something else or some accident, uh, accidentally slipping or something and, or, and falling and dropping her. Um, or that a car would come by and hit her stroller, or that somehow, uh, you know, somehow, somewhere, I would lose control uh, and she would be harmed accidentally. 
Uh, then there were the more disturbing thoughts where I was so sleep deprived and began having these feelings of intense rage where I, uh, you know, late at night or whatever, when she was fussy or wouldn't sleep or it was nap time, some at some point where um, I was frustrated, my frustration levels were magnified way through the roof. And I had these really intense and distressing, disturbing thoughts of throwing her against the wall. So I think it's really important to highlight that those thoughts bothered me so much. And I did everything in my power to not do any harm to her. So I would put her down, walk away, um, walk away crying sometimes because how upsetting the thoughts were and how bad I felt for even having them. Um, and mind you, these were, this is like a totally new experience. I had never thought anything that intensely before. I had never, you know, really wished harm upon anybody in that way. It, um, and, and with that intensity and, and let alone this is the thoughts I'm having about my own child. So very distressing, really distressing stuff. And again, something that I would never, ever, ever do. But there I was having those thoughts, feeling those feelings, being super confused by them and very, very worried about them. And then didn't tell anybody, didn't tell my husband, didn't tell my mom, didn't tell my, nobody, nobody knew. I didn't tell my best friend. I didn't tell any of my friends. That was my sort of shameful secret that I was having these horrible thoughts of hurting my child, knowing that I would never do it. But my gosh, what would people think if they heard? What would people do if they heard? And then they got worse. Then I started having really, again, very intrusive thoughts about doing something to sexually abuse my child. Now, this was beyond devastating. This was beyond comprehension to me. I had no idea. I didn't understand what was going on. Um, and I was absolutely terrified. I started thinking to myself, oh my gosh, what was I abused as a child? Why am I having these thoughts? I, I, I would just stand there and, and sort of shake a little bit because it was so, so distressing. Um, this was probably the worst that I could feel um, up about myself um, ever. How could I have these thoughts? What in the world was going on that my mind was creating this? Should I, you know, uh, who do I need to talk to? How do I even talk about this? How do I make sure that they know I would never, ever do anything to my child, ever? Um, you know, and when those thoughts came, they sort of, came like lightning uh, and just left this scar, left a mark for sure, um, made me feel horrible. And I was already feeling bad. Again, I had no idea, really no idea what was going on or why this was happening and that it's common. Uh, and I'll get to that again in a moment. So imagine if I had known, though, that, that this happens. Imagine how much pain I could have avoided. Imagine how much more present I could be with my child and with my husband uh, and with my family had I not been 
well, preoccupied or sort of terrified, not even sort of terrified, terrified of what was going on. It, it, came, it came to a point where I would just cry and cry and cry and wonder what was wrong with me. So it, it got pretty bad um, for me. That was, that was plenty bad. One of the worst parts, though, was that I was 100% alone. Even though I had support around me, even though I had people coming to help, I was trapped by these thoughts, trapped by this fear, um, and so, so worried about how I would be perceived or what people would think. It took me a while to even, you know, as a, as a specialist, once I got into the work and realized what was going on and I read about it, oh my gosh, this is a thing that happens. Uh, these really intrusive thoughts about sexual abuse happen. Um, other types of intrusive thoughts happen, and you don't have to have had a history of sexual abuse for them to occur. Uh, and there they are anyways. Um, it's incredibly confusing. But with what I understand now, I can look back and I can understand what I was going through. I can, and it's, you know, what took a little bit of time, but I can forgive myself. None of this was intentional. None of those thoughts were thoughts that I wanted to feel. None of those um, things that came up in my mind were things that I would wanted to act on or never would I want to, to harm my child. The thoughts become so intense, though, that it's hard to know sometimes if you uh, can keep yourself safe, uh, if you can keep your children safe. The good news is, specifically with these intrusive thoughts, that if they are distressing, and if they are distressing to you, and you're doing everything in your power to not do them, you won't do them. People don't harm their children from, from intrusive thoughts. So we'll get into the difference uh, around what can happen in maternal mental health again in just a minute. But I think it's important to differentiate that Really, you know, a lot of people, even not pregnant or postpartum people, uh, have thoughts that flash through their mind. Um, but when we're in a vulnerable state, when we are sleep deprived, when we are going through the biggest change of our life, we are more vulnerable and we are more susceptible to those thoughts and those fears when we're already in a worried state. So context, hey, context is really helpful. Um, and I'm a firm believer in trying to understand all of the factors that go into contributing to why a mom feels the way that she feels. So what I'd really like for you to take away from this, uh, from my story, if possible, is that, you know, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, pregnancy depression, pregnancy anxiety, it does not discriminate. It happens to all kinds of people. Um, certainly people who are, who are having more stressors in their life are more susceptible to uh, and more vulnerable to um, maternal mental health complications. But certainly, you know, if on paper you might say, well, you know, she's a psychologist, she has a stable job, she has a husband, all these things, uh, they are true. It's true that those things are supportive and helpful. But my experience didn't discriminate against me. It 
came. It came how it, it came for me, full force, uh, and and terrifying nonetheless. So what I really, really hope to do is break the idea of what these moms are, who these moms look like, and put a real face to maternal mental health complications. And one of those faces happens to be mine. Uh, the reality is, is that about 20% of moms experience some very serious and clinical level of anxiety or depression or other mood disorders or trauma during this period of time. And those moms need our help. Those moms need to be heard and listened to and supported. So I'm going to give you now a brief overview of maternal mental health issues. As I said before, roughly 15 to 20% of women will experience a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. And what that includes is depression, anxiety, OCD, a bipolar disorder that can be onset as postpartum, trauma, or psychosis. Now, psychosis is one of the, the things that you've probably heard of more in the news. We don't hear about cases of uh, postpartum depression and anxiety until they reach really critical, critical levels and you hear stories of moms hurting themselves and their children. And, and postpartum psychosis is a very serious uh, an emergency. So uh, or I'll give you a little bit more specifics about uh, the mood disorders, but I want to say that, as I said before, you know, this doesn't discriminate. Postpartum depression is the number one complication of childbirth. Just let, let's let that sink in. Number one, take all of the, the medical complications that can happen, a postpartum depression rises above. The populations that are at higher risk are folks who have lower socioeconomic status, who are struggling, who have a low amount of resources, um, and certainly any number of stressors that have come into that person's life can increase the likelihood of being affected by a maternal mental health complication. Another thing that I'd like to really make clear is that symptoms of uh, postpartum mood disorder can show up any time in the first year postpartum. And sometimes, even if they did show up, they might not be recognized for many years. So it's, it's possible that a mom may not have been able to tell or, or her providers couldn't tell that something was going on for her. And it could be several years after she had her baby and, and just be figuring out what had happened uh, and what was going on. So um, this is pretty important to know, and it's really important to be sensitive and be aware that these symptoms can show up within the first year and certainly can be affecting a mom for years if untreated. A couple of other things to take note of is that dads and partners can develop postpartum depression or anxiety as well. And also adoptive parents can develop postpartum depression. Um, you don't have to have birthed a child to experience anxiety or depression related to, the, to bringing home a child. So another, that's another thing to really try and be sensitive to is um, to broaden, broaden our awareness of, of what, what happens to who to include and be curious about anybody who's been through a change of bringing home a baby uh, or being pregnant or losing a pregnancy or losing a child, to be really sensitive to, to what they're going through. So I'll talk a little bit 
more about um, postpartum right now and differentiate between the baby blues and postpartum depression. So the baby blues is probably what you've heard of more commonly. That's up to 80% of new moms will have the baby blues. It's a lot. That's almost, that's almost all. So the, the, the thing that's important to note about the baby blues is that this is like the first two weeks or so after delivery. Um, symptoms can include tearfulness and mood swings and hypervigilance. Um, and it, it's very common and normal to have emotional ups and downs in the first few weeks after having a baby. Generally, with, with good support and rest and nutrition and, and other factors, um, the baby blues will go away within a few weeks and mom will feel better. But about 20%, as I said, of moms, um, those symptoms don't go away or they are so severe um, during those first two weeks that it, it is probably something else like a postpartum depression or anxiety. Um, so I think it's important to differentiate between the two. The baby blues, again, is just its first couple of weeks and it's common. This is 80% of moms who are having a hard time. So if you know anybody or hear of anybody who's struggling a lot during those first two weeks uh, or is experiencing symptoms longer than two weeks, then it is a good idea to get them referred to a trained provider in um, maternal mental health issues to have a, a full assessment. Um, a little bit more detail, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, uh, moms can have panic, can have OCD, which are Obsessive thoughts and compulsive behaviors. PTSD happens, can happen in pregnancy and postpartum. And as I said before, postpartum psychosis. Uh, now, psychosis is a serious medical condition that requires immediate attention. These are moms who have a complete break from reality, um, and they might hear or see or believe things that are not true or not there. And it can cause extreme irritability, inability to sleep, hallucinations, rational thoughts. And so if you're noticing anything that seems strange, really, really, um, and not that's very outside of what how this mom is normally behaving, this is something you want to get immediate attention for. Otherwise, depression and anxiety are also very serious, um, certainly, and can be life-threatening. Depression can be life-threatening for anyone who experiences it. These are real, real things. Uh, that really need to be attended to. So for postpartum depression, mom might feel sad, uh, feel loss of interest, um, feel overwhelmed, be exhausted, uh, changes in appetites, mood swings, real difficulty with concentration and focus. So the things that are really important to pay attention to here uh, that is unique in, with postpartum depression is um, the amount of guilt and shame that a mom can feel, again, that she may or may not describe to anybody. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. 
I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. But she may be having feelings like, you know, not feeling connected to the baby and not wanting to hold the baby or feeling sort of strange within herself. Like, why don't I feel connected? Why don't I want to hold the baby? And and these are the things that are important to to look at and ask about and keep in mind. Um, A mom who's anxious will probably... uh, unless it's very clear that she's experiencing anxiety or that she understands or is able to describe what's happening. She could be having shortness of breath and racing thoughts and heart palpitations, worrying all the time, on high alert, uh, really excessive concern about the baby's health or her own health. What I look for in um, with postpartum moms is um, their ability to... Um, rest when possible. If you see a mom who's very productive all of a sudden, or she's always been productive, but you're wondering like, wow, she just had a baby. She's getting a lot of stuff done. Maybe, maybe she's fine. But also uh, moms who have a postpartum anxiety do have a lot of difficulty sitting um, and resting and being still um, and are constantly kind of up and doing stuff. They'll talk, you know, there's a list. There's always stuff to get done. Doesn't feel like I can sit down, that kind of stuff. A couple of other things I'd like to highlight is really keeping an eye on and looking for signs of um, very, very high anxiety or signs of um, PTSD. Unfortunately, terms like depression, oh, I feel depressed or I feel anxious or I feel OCD or something. People are now using these in common language to describe like a Uh, changing mood, something that just is like how they feel in the moment. But these are real and clinical and significant and serious issues. Uh, So in terms specifically of OCD in uh, the perinatal period, um, some moms can have or feel like obsessions with contamination or other words, feeling like something's dirty or there are germs that they need to clean um, or doubting things like, did I turn off the, the stove? 
um, or thoughts that, like I, ex- I described earlier with my own experience, thoughts of harming their child uh, or thoughts of uh, sexual ob- obsessions. So these are the four kind of main types of obsessions that uh, a mom could be experiencing. These are very distressing. And usually uh, the, the thoughts when they come up are so, so upsetting that they engage in things that help to relieve the stress of the thought. And those are the compulsions. So a uh, mom might check multiple times, did I, did I turn off the stove? Um, she might wash her hands or wash clothes or wash the floor or, um, if she's worried about germs. She might avoid things that, um, uh, avoid objects or things that she's worried about could bring harm to her or her child. For instance, some moms worry about um, what if I accidentally slip in the knife and this knife that's in my hand cuts my child. So they will avoid knives. There might be a lot of a reassurance. Uh, they might need a lot of reassurance. Is this okay? Are you sure? Did I close this? Did I check that? Did, you know, that kind of stuff. And there may be other things they're doing that aren't outwardly noticeable, but mental kind of compulsions in their mind. They could be doing things mentally over and over to help them relieve themselves of the anxiety. So this isn't just like checking on the door once or twice. This type type of um, checking would be um, making it hard for the mom to do other stuff, getting in the way of them being able to leave the house or go on to the next activity, or just feeling so, so, so stressed out. These intrusive thoughts, again, are incredibly disturbing. Uh, They don't want to be having them. No mom wants to be feeling any of this, which is really important to remember. If they could not feel what they're feeling, they, they would just turn it off. This is not a choice. This is something that's happening to them as a result of multiple factors, but but as a result of... Um, Post, this postpartum period. Another thing to really watch out for and be aware of is the potential for mothers to have been traumatized uh, at some point during their pregnancy or delivery or coming home. Now, we all would love, you know, our pregnancies and deliveries to go smoothly and go well without any complications, but that's not the reality for some moms, and sometimes that's unavoidable. You know, really paying attention to how how was this experience for you, mom? Did uh, how worried were you? Uh, you know, sometimes moms will describe uh, difficulties that they had while they were in delivery, worrying about their baby, worrying about their their own life, or many other many other complications. Want to just be sensitive to the fact that they could have been traumatized by their experience, even if outwardly it doesn't look like they might have been. The trauma is really in the eye of the beholder on some level. We can't know what is traumatizing for someone. So during this period of time, postpartum pregnancy and postpartum in general, we as people, myself included, before I knew what was going on, make a lot of assumptions about what motherhood is like, what it's supposed to be like, what it's going to feel like, how what a good mother is and what a good mother does. And and it's exhausting. It's exhausting for mothers that, well, you know, on some level, all of a sudden it's like open season on moms to uh, have people commenting on their bodies, commenting on their choices, 
on their parenting choices, on their labor choices, on their delivery choices, on their nursing or bottle feeding choices. So one of the points that I really, really, really want to drive home is that each, each person's experience is unique and it's theirs. And we as outsiders may have had an experience and we can give some perspective, uh, but it's also important to be sensitive that whatever your mom you're talking to, her experience is unique to her and we, we cannot put our expectations on her to do or be or act like we would specifically during this time because she's just trying to figure it out. Most moms are new at being a mom and they're trying to figure it out. They're trying to understand what to do. They're dealing with their own transition into motherhood. What does that mean? What does being a mother mean to me? And not all of this process is conscious uh, and, and upfront and, you know, uh, but it's a process that takes place for all of us when we go through any change. So in terms of being really, really sensitive to maternal mental health issues, um, I hope that this gives you some perspective, uh, not only from my experience, but also just kind of the breadth of the difficulties that a mom can have. And again, this is about 20% of moms, and there's a spectrum within that. And there, there are certainly moms and families who don't have complications and who, who transition and don't have any major complications. The so things that they're dealing with may be difficult, but they adjust and they move forward. We are really paying attention to the moms who need our attention uh, clinically, who need our attention with support, and who need us to be advocating for them in places where they don't feel like they have a voice or they don't feel like they're being heard. Just as a side, you know, I talked about some difficult stuff at the beginning of this episode. Um, and thank you for sticking around and listening to what I had to say today. I hope it was helpful for you. If you know anybody who may have experienced any of this or you yourself are identifying, oh my gosh, that sounds like me or this is something that I went through, please, again, know that there is help for you. I will be leaving resources in the show notes that's connected to this episode and also on the momandmind.com page. And I will be, we will be sharing resources throughout all of these episodes. I thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. And I hope that this is helpful for you and supportive and gives you an additional resource and a place to understand more about what is going on for moms who are dealing with maternal mental health issues. So maybe you guys can tell how much we've grown since episode number one. Uh, we've covered quite a few topics since then and still have so many more to cover and a long, long list coming up of episodes uh, throughout the rest of the year. If you guys want to connect, please remember that we have the Mom and Mind Connection Facebook. And while I'm not going to necessarily be in there while I'm taking this time off, you're welcome to go in there and connect with other people and um, have conversations about any of the podcast episodes that you've listened to thus far. Um, you're always welcome to check out www.momandmind.com to download the free resource of many of our past experts and advocates sharing their tips and tools for new parents, mental health, as well as connect through the Mom and Mind newsletter. So we'll be coming back to you with brand new episodes in a couple of weeks. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. 
with sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.